is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 22, previewing the Fifth Global Nash Congress, which will take place in London on May 26th and 27th. This conversation largely covers two sets of issues. The first is how important it is for clinicians to understand genetic and omic information about fatty liver disease as it develops in the field. And the second is a look at the different drugs that will be evaluated or will be presented, actually, at papers in this conference, and what we hope some of those presentations will achieve and what they might teach us. The presentations range from resmeteram, which is expected to be the first drug to come to market in fatty liver disease, to other products far earlier in development or focused on cirrhosis and what we can learn from those as well. There are six or seven drugs mentioned here, so it's a conversation worth listening to to learn what we're going to get out of this conference on that important topic. What made this episode so interesting and enjoyable for me was not only to consider some of the topics at the Congress, but also the different conversations that arose spontaneously from the surfers and our guests. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. So, Ian, I don't know how satisfying you found that as an answer to the general question about how much of this people need to understand. I'm intrigued by your thoughts. Ian Rowe. Well, you could spend five years at medical school or longer in some systems or less, um, learning a lot about pathophysiology, pharmacology of lots and lots of different things. But you forget quite a lot of that. And as you practice particularly if you practice widely in general internal medicine or in general practice, then I guess that you forget quite a lot of that and you understand what works, what tests to order when. As a general practitioner, I might not need to know where BNP comes from, but I know that it's a diagnostic test for heart failure. And the question is, which communities need to know what? I think it's a real challenge with emerging technologies for people to learn enough so that they're knowledgeable about them so that they can actually understand where they might be useful in their practice. That's quite a big ask for the the sort of general secondary, even tertiary care, clinical gastroenterologist, hepatologist, that would be a big thing to learn, a big step to take, particularly if you're being asked to take a similar step in new pharmacological agents, in new approaches to endoscopy, which might all be part of your clinical practice. All of these emerging fields have to be developed by clinical and academic and industry leaders, but with a clear eye on where that's heading. And I think, you know, my comment about distilling down and making it simple you know having composite biomarkers of lots and lots of different things that add incrementally on top of established biomarkers whether that's fib4 or something else in the future the question comes then what will the value of that be in primary care or in secondary care practice and at what cost because ultimately it's those things that will decide how those tools are taken up before they become very very widespread and inevitably very very cheap Jörn Schattenberg yeah just to add my thoughts to that Roger we are at the point because there was a because of the interaction of clinical translational scientists and basic scientists in the field. And during the development of novel drugs, diagnostic tools, there's a big need to to exchange. And there's been a, you know, from my perspective, uh, it's been a tremendous wealth of learning, uh, being able to talk to basic scientists or people like, you know, like you had on the podcast here, Scott, to, to get to know his ideas and then link it back to the patients we're seeing in clinic. I think during that development progress, it's very important to get the depth of all that information. In clinical practice, in the end, I think, as Ian said, um, if they know there's the test, that's linked to a certain outcome, that becomes less important. It has to be linked 
to the disease pathophysiology for the physician to relate to it as a disease driver, diagnostic marker, or something like this. But in the field of clinical sensational science, like uh, Ian and I am involved now, we've learned so much from the interaction with the basic scientists, and that that helped us to come up with hypotheses and formulate ideas. Louise Campbell. I was only going to comment on the um, semiologic one in the fact that that interested me more from the continual link to diabetes and heart disease in the fact that the only way we're going to drive awareness of liver-related care is to drive it within the two big or considered big fields of cardiology and endocrinology, um, despite liver disease being outnumbering those patients currently. So that's where the strength lies. The more that we can tie all of this into those diseases and the more we can offer to prove the strong links between the cardiovascular disease. I'm interested to see his figures and what comes out and what the actual strength of that is in the cardiovascular risk. Because I did this conference a couple of years back. It was the last in-person conference I did. And in fact, there was a session on fatty liver disease as a cardiac disease. So that area of driving it out, I think, is a strength. Yeah, I remember your comments at the time or last year that the strength of this Congress was that, in fact, they took a look at things in a more interdisciplinary kind of way. So let's, let's shift gears into the other areas, drugs and development, diagnostics, and what we're learning about patient treatment in general. There's a wealth here on weight and a bunch here on drugs. So I'd be interested to hear what any of you found particularly interesting or compelling on those topics. I just went through the program to make sure I'm not missing anything. It's pretty much the, that's what I meant in the beginning. It's um, a chief medical officers or key people from, from the companies that are reporting on their drug development program. There is Galmet uh, present with Aram Cole. There is some data of semaglutide for combinations. There is the cirrhosis study that's been done by Galectin and Paul Boots is going to talk about Belapectin as an inhibitor. So the abstracts don't really give away the topics they're covering, but it's very interesting to hear from them what they think has been a breakthrough for their drug development program, what's been helpful, what maybe they will mention things that they had to overcome to be successful in enrolling patients and ongoing clinical trials. I mean, they can't say much about the results, but it's very interesting just to hear from their perspective what's important for the field and how, how we can move this forward. Because at this point in time, we've seen some failures. These companies really come up with strong candidates to be explored in clinical trials, and one of them might make it over the finish line, which we hope and I'm confident uh, of. And, and and just to hear their perspective on this path is very interesting. Yeah, I agree with that. In the making it over the finish line, it'll be interesting to see if uh, Becky uh, Taub shares anything on phase three resmiterone that isn't widely known yet or is able to talk about it in a way that isn't widely known yet in terms of who might get over the finish line first. Um, and something that uh, the Madrigal team actually has been very good about is actually to educate us on the NITs at the screening and baseline populations. And in addition, they have some open label data that they have uh, discussed in the past. And, and, and as such, the drug development program is pretty <clears throat> big and has helped the field uh, to understand and, and correlate to certain NITs. That's interesting there. I think she might have some of that in her talk. Well, my hope would be she does. So, Louise, any thoughts on Scott Harris, given that you mentioned your uh, private uh, Q&A with him before or on his talk? No, I, I'm just looking forward to what he's got to say, because I think he follows on from Anya Garretz on day one, which is looking at the bariatric surgery and looking at the rapid weight loss. So it'll be interesting to see what he has to say for that, but it does interest me. Just jumping on what Sean was saying there, and there's, in fact, Anna Gretz is on the second day, but it's the smaglutide data. I'm interested in that because, of course, that's a drug that's in the real world. It's been approved by the UK for use by NICE, 
So this is an area where we could be getting really real-world data in a lot of countries with use of non-invasive technologies in patients with multiple other health conditions. And I don't think we're collecting that data. I don't, I'd like to see, obviously, liver non-invasives as standard of care in these patients. So it's, it will really be really interesting to see what the data from this trial suggests because it's looking promising and it's already in the real world in obesity and other areas. So let's see. So it's interesting to me when you pair that paper with what Scott Harris is going to talk about. I think Altimune has been comfortable talking about comparisons with other agents in clinical work to date as, as they've gone along. I remember at NASHTAG a couple of years ago, certainly, a paper that talked about that a bunch. So they'll be looking at monotherapies and some dual agonists, all of which are primarily, you know, either GLP-1 or, or GLP-1 GLP-GIPs. So it'll be interesting to see how that stacks up or contrasts to what Novo Nordisk will be talking about, which is semaglutide and a different kind of combination therapy, right? FGF-21 or something that works in a very different way. I'll be intrigued to see those two talks and how they compare and what we might learn from one or the other. Yeah, I think comparing and contrasting in that way the nutritional aspect and weight loss and there's a couple of sessions on weight loss with the drugs it's almost a head-to-head comparison in the room (laughs) there are two more drug development programs that are being presented you mentioned madrigal before but one that we should touch briefly is of course the Happion crv 431 they've had a positive phase 2a program and and that informed a phase 2b study that's uh, ongoing now in patients with advanced fibrosis so the concept of cyclophilin inhibition in nash is interesting and we'll see what their take is on this and of course the second one and i thought that was interesting too is the is the french company poxel that developed pioglitazone that is an isomer or in a certain way modified to try to avoid some of the side effects we've been seeing with pioglitazone namely weight gain and interesting how that comes in because pioglitazone we know has been showing effect in particular in patients with diabetes the famous pivens trial wasn't positive but there's a lot of sub uh, group analysis been done subsequently so the PPARs as a class, of course, I've been around and it'll be interesting to learn how they plan to modify that and uh, to get some of the unwanted effects out of that drug class. No, I mean, I think the session that I think is, is interesting, as uh, Louise has alluded to, is there's clinical data about weight loss being presented from Oxford, where they've systematically reviewed the impact of low-calorie diets on NASH and the various uh, endpoints within that paper's recently been published in clinical gastroenterology and hepatology and they've also got some preliminary data about a pilot trial of the safety and potential efficacy of a very low energy dietary intervention like there is for for diabetes and a program now in the uk that's being rolled out by nhs england what's interesting is if you go back and look in the original reports of the very low calorie diet you see marked decreases in the small number of patients who had mr spectroscopy at baseline looking at liver fat the the dietary manipulation for weight loss would be interesting but the parallels with the pharmacological pharmacological interventions for weight loss that will follow from scott harris i think will be that really it makes the case for pharmacological intervention he says having not seen the talks but but being familiar with some of the data that's probably the standout hour for me would be looking at that it's just unfortunate that it's at the same time as the discussion from valerie parody about hcc Nathalie, which I think is an important side conversation because it is a clinical event that occurs in a number of patients that seems relatively unpredictable, even amongst the patients with advanced fibrosis. And now back to Roger. 
I hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. Louise Campbell and Rachel Zayas will be at the Fifth Global Nash Congress next month in London, and we will have an episode with Jorn, Louise, Rachel, perhaps some other speakers, and me after the Congress. Next week, we will be back with Andrew Scott from Global Liver Institute and Achim Kautz from Germany to take a holistic view of the patient advocate role in fatty liver disease. Until then, stay safe. Surf on, see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.